Michael Yu Podcast. This is Michael Yu. We have a very, very special guest with us today. His name is Jeff Appleby from Oakwood Realty. He is a one of our top producing realtors here at the office, and he won Oakwoodite of the Year a year ago, which is best exemplifies uh, what it is to be an Oakwoodite or a member of our team. So we're really excited to have Jeff with us today. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, Jeff, it's just such a pleasure to have you. We're really thankful uh, for you to be here today and, and to share some of your background, your story. So why don't you get started? Why don't you share a little bit about um, who you are, your role, and maybe how you came to real estate? Yeah, there's a whole lot there to unpackage if we want, I guess. Uh, who, who I am? Existential question. <laughs> <laughs> who am I? Let me think about this for a little while. Family's all out on the West Coast. My dad's from here. My brother was born here. I was born in Ottawa, and the whole family moved back to Vancouver. So I've been here a long time with a few breaks, living around the world a little bit. But when I finished university, I taught English overseas and did a few things. But when I came back to Vancouver to sort of get my career going, I got into mining and exploration and I worked at an Australian company for about eight years. And that was a super formative years professionally, learning about sales and business and investment and building a big network of people in Vancouver. And that company was bought out in 2014. That's when I decided to make the move into real estate. My mom was a realtor growing up. So I spent a lot of December and November, I was getting paid five cents a flyer, dropping <laughs> off her calendars to like our entire neighborhood, which was kind of hellish in the winter. She was always like the, the realtor in our area growing up. And my brother's a realtor in Belize now. So I was familiar with it. I'd always wanted to do it. So when that change happened in 2014, that's when I decided to make the move. And it's been a wild ride. Awesome. <laughs> so tell us about your eight years that you had in mining. Like, did you start it right from the bottom? Like, what was the whole role? What was the whole evolution in, in that? I started in a pretty entry-level sales role, so it was a global company. Basically, the board of directors and the head office was in Perth, Australia, so I was kind of like this satellite outpost salesperson in Vancouver alone. I was in like a 1,200-square-foot office at Pender and Howe most of the time on my own. So my friends would come in and be like, you know, there's like a boardroom, two offices, a front desk reception, and they'd come in and be like, where is everyone? I work here alone. Is this a real job? <laughs> yeah, it was, like, it was like a weird George Costanza situation I had going on. But no, I, I did that for a year. It went well. I had my one-year review, and they were generally like, yeah, we're happy. Your numbers are good. I'd gotten off the ground reasonably well, and then they said, we lost the person selling this product in Australia, and we need someone in those shoes right away. Would you be willing to go down? And I was like, sure, that sounds like a pretty awesome experience. And then they said, would you be willing to go down next week? And I was like, well, okay, yeah, sure. I was like, I have a dentist appointment on Tuesday. <laughs> I want to get my checkup and then I'll go. And so I was on a plane within six or seven days and I was supposed to be there for three months. I ended up staying for a year. So I stayed a year there, traveled around all over the place. That must have been a huge culture shock, eh? Like, um... Yeah, but it was awesome too. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, there could be much more difficult places to go to. Mm -hmm. And Perth was awesome. I landed there in October. I landed there basically when the global financial crisis, when the stock markets were crashing. Right. In the commodity space, everyone went into panic mode and was like, preserve capital. And it was actually a really tough year professionally because for those 12 months, no one in exploration was spending money. That ramped up because gold and commodities took a run in you know, the preceding years. But in that 12 months, when that crash happened, like we were really struggling to keep that product afloat. So yeah, I mean, we you know it, it ended up going fine, and we we built up a small team, and and then I ended up shadowing the CEO of the company, who was like this, he's like a world-renowned geophysicist. He was a really interesting guy to learn from, a really good person. His ethics, how he treated his people, the way he ran the company, 
was great to, to shadow him for three months because that was on, a, on another product I was learning to sell and then sort of bring that back to, um, to Canada. So it, yeah, it was a phenomenal year. Great, great experience, and then I came back, and then I, and then I was sort of breaking this new product into the sort of North American market, and uh, that took, that took, you know, when you're bringing in a new product or service to a new market, you've got competition, you've got a lack of understanding for what the product is, and all these sorts of things. You need a, it's a bit of a, an uphill battle. So it took about a year when I got back to Vancouver in 2009 to get that ball rolling, and then we had a bunch of really good years of sales, and then we got bought, wow, by a big American company with tons of systems and they like they came in and I think I've told this to you before like as an example it was like we were using we weren't we were using our own sort of CRMs or people were using almost right. even like Excel to manage all their client notes and databases and all that stuff and and they were like well we use Salesforce and if you don't want to use the system you can work somewhere else yeah so it was very yeah so it was it was systems it was like it was like it was like every week monitoring so it was it was different it was it was a different corporate experience but at the same time you know, I bring this to real estate, which has so people get into real estate straight out of high school or university, and um, there's no systems and there's not a lot of training, and it's kind of a sink or swim thing. And so, I mean, there's no doubt that having that experience uh, in a few different roles, and and actually, you know, with that last company, I I ended up being the uh, VP of business development for North and South America. Wow. So I was I was flying to South America, Mexico, most mostly Mexico, uh, Peru, and Chile. Uh, a couple times a year, um, doing a lot of business there, and so all of that corporate experience and relationship management and 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 all that was a huge foundation for me getting started uh, in real estate. So now speaking in in terms of being in a in a company where well, first you started out kind of alone, and then as you ramped up and grew, going from like an individual, I, I like outbound sales reps. I was an outbound sales rep myself, and it's a very very different life because nobody's monitoring you and you basically it's an interesting life let's put it that way you're always on the road and you have no one to talk to but yourself so like that's why things like these podcasts are really helpful because you're always alone and so but you know speaking to a couple things one is your transition into real estate coming from working individually and then ramping up a company that gets bought by a huge corporation living that corporate life for a little period of time and then transitioning into real estate now Tell us a little about that transition and like what benefits from your old life yeah. you kind of brought over. I mean, the biggest benefit, I think that, I, okay, so I talked a little bit just about like the structure and corporate sales experience and that sort of thing that I did have. And, and I think also maybe maturity level too, like going into real estate at uh, 33 instead of 25, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been as ready at 25, I don't know. But yeah, I, I guess the whole transition was it was a bit of a plunge, right? Like just quitting your job, not not knowing when your next paycheck's gonna be. It was very humbling because when I decided to make the move, I, I went into like preservation money mode kind of thing and yeah. like didn't spend money on anything. I just wanted, just was worried I might not get a paycheck for a full year. Like everyone says going into real estate, like you know, you're not gonna make any sales in your first year and you got all these costs. And I, I basically started like landscaping for 20 bucks an hour hour cash three days a week when I was studying and when I was getting up and running and it was I remember one day we were breaking up like a concrete staircase at a house on the North Shore and I think I moved like 3,000 pounds of concrete myself what down are you this. so buff yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank, no one's ever said that to me before thank you that's really nice um, no you know and I, I just <laughs> yeah, something like that so I look back on that stuff that is pretty character building and 
you know, I went, I went from like flying down to these foreign countries in, in, in South America and staying in nice hotels and, you know, expensing dinners to like, okay, now I'm physically moving concrete and <laughs> breaking up the stairs. Yeah. You know, it just, you know, it's kind of, um, it's character building, I think. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't that I necessarily needed to do that, but I kind of just felt like I needed to break from my studying and wanted the extra income. I didn't know what was going to happen. It was, it was, it was moving into an abyss of uncertainty, really starting real estate. So I, I just, I, I was conservative about it, I guess. And I think I was playing to like this worst case scenario, like it might take a year to get running, but I actually my first clients, they were sort of good friends of mine and she was pregnant of the couple and uh, they wanted to move. And I basically said, I'm going to commit every weekend to you guys and, until we find you guys a solution that's perfect. And uh, so I got, I think I got my first deal about a month and a half in after getting my license. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so and, then, and then the ball got rolling really well from there. And a lot of that was former clients and people from that mining career who I'd worked with for three or four years. They knew who I was. They knew how I worked. They knew I was responsive and they trusted me. And so once I moved into real estate, there was a handful of people from mining and exploration who were just almost sought me out in certain occasions. Like, hey, here you're in real estate. We're looking to make a move. I mean, I, I say it, it, I was lucky to get off the ground uh, as quickly and, and as efficiently as I did. But I think there, there was a lot of a lot of attributes just that fell together and uh, and, and just trust in old relationships. And speaking to that uncertainty and how that you know, kind of coming into something new and having all that fear associated with it, how did you break through it? I, you know what? This is, for, for better or for worse, this is the way I do it. I just put my head down. And so I remember when I got my license, I said, I said to my girlfriend, Kia, I said, uh, I'm going to work every single weekend, either touring buyers or at open houses until I make a sale. So I might be working for the next three months or whatever. So I basically didn't take a day off until I made that first sale. And then it was Christmas time. I took a little bit of time off and planned for the new year and had a bit of momentum. But uh, yeah, it was just, for me at that point, it's just about, I need, I need to get this, it's like a startup. So I know a lot of people in the sort of tech startup world and they work like, um, when you're getting a, when you're, when these entrepreneurs are trying to get these companies off the ground, I mean, they're working seven days a week, 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week. Like uh, it's, it's nonstop just trying to plane the ship, like just trying to get lift off. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the way I saw it. I was like, this is a startup company. This is my own business. I need it, you know, I'm, I'm 34, I'm not starting, you know, like I said, 25. So, you know, I had a mortgage and I was more established. I didn't want to waste four years slowly ramping up. I wanted to be up and moving now. So yeah, I was like, I'm just gonna work harder. Awesome, Did, were there ever any moments where you thought you were gonna quit or you wanted to change? From real estate? Yeah. No. Nope. That's good. Nope, I uh, put a lot of blood and sweat into, uh, into that startup and there are points where I wonder, do I want to service a smaller group of people really well? And I think that might be down the road where I, I don't spend the amount of time and constantly try and grow, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. Where you want to keep your business flat maybe, but uh, I'm not really there yet. Maybe that'll happen in the future. And I've added uh, Jean to the team. She was a former client of mine. She did marketing for an exploration company that we used to work with. Uh, so years ago, met her eight years ago and just sort of always been in touch. She came on and started helping me last September and as I really got busy last year. And then we hired Pauline that uh, started working in March. She's a bit more full time, uh, helping with a lot more of the admin and marketing. And so, no, we're, we're, we're now slowly building all the systems and just growing each year, each month. So 
Um, e- even with the slow year that you know the markets have been having, sort of thirty percent down in sales this year, yeah, we're still tracking along really well and just you know helping people because every market, I mean, the markets go up and down, and we all know like if we look back on a ten-year graph, there's twelve months where prices go up and then eight months where they go down, and it just ebbs and flows. And so those cycles are just really good for different people and people can use those cycles to their advantage. And so a lot of the information that I put out there, people clue into how they can benefit from those cycles. And so, yeah, we've been busy. That's great. So speaking about going from an individual and and having some success out of the gate and just congratulations. Last year, Jeff won what we call it's kind of the real estate Oscars. The, uh, it's called the Medallion Award, which is awarded to the top 10% of real estate professionals in Greater Vancouver. And Jeff won last year, and it was very first, his very first year winning, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, getting getting into the getting into the club, the Medallion Club. So, congratulations there. So, you know, we're so proud of obviously Jeff and all his accomplishments. And around the office, Jeff may be, if not the most, but one of the most likable and most friendly people that we have here. We're just so uh, lucky to have him here every day roaming the halls and having conversations with and I've heard so many positive comments about Jeff and how he relates to people and, and how he builds relationships with others and talking about likability as well do you because Jeff is a and I know this might be a little bit forward but Jeff is a super likable guy do you have any tips are you trained in any way or is this just like this <laughs> is just Jeff <laughs> no I don't know I mean you're making me blush um, my mom talks to strangers and wants to talk to everyone and wants to connect with everyone and I, I think I got that and I think maybe maybe the one thing that I have is that I always try and see through the lens that other people are looking through as well so when I learn that someone is like very socially uncomfortable in settings or you know in larger groups you know like I'll, I'll I'm aware of that and I want to make people feel comfortable so I'll kind of just you know um do what I can to help that person or, or something like that. I, I guess I'm just uh, like making people feel comfortable and, and connecting with them because there's so many things you don't even realize and that you learn as you go along. Like, you know, I, I remember learning, I remember a friend of mine when we were about 20 years old talking about anxiety and I just totally didn't know what he was talking about and I couldn't empathize with him at all. And um, as you get older and you have different experiences and you start to understand what that mean and how much of a big challenge that would have been for him, you, you just you just learn to see it through life through other people's lenses and why they're why they have the behaviors they have. And um, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm always just really interested in people. So I don't know. That genuine interest. And I think that's a big, it's a big part of uh, building relationships and, and rapport to be genuinely interested in the other person. You know, I think a lot of people that it's interesting, a lot of people I meet, a lot of people that I contact with, I think they're just waiting for the next time for themselves to talk as opposed to really genuinely get yeah. to know someone and get to know you know, what's what's happening. I think yeah. uh, Jeff does that very, very well. Um, and, and is I, Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated in, like, other people's worlds. You know, if a friend's, like, if you're a flight attendant or a lawyer or whatever I mean what's that like like what what is the majority of your day um what is that stress level like what's it like going in court what's it like when you feel like the plane is crashing but you have to have a face on that makes it look calm so that because you know all the all the all the other passengers on a plane always look at the flight attendant to see if the flight attendant's not scared then we're probably not crashing like uh, it's interesting these different jobs people that have you know in the different lives they lead are 
They're crazy. You're you're a deep sea fishing guide. Like that must get pretty hairy out there sometimes. Uh, it's neat learning what other people do and what the ins and outs of their job or their lives or their experience or where they were born. You know, like you meet people that were born in. You know, I used to work with a guy who was born in the Ukraine, and you know, these all these friends from from Latin America. It's like they grew up in a totally different world, and that's right. just they're just neat. I just want to want to learn about it. It's cool. Yeah, I think seeing things through different perceptions and getting to know people genuinely and, and really caring, and it, it really it really shows, you know, in my conversations that I've had with Jeff, and it, it's really great. So obviously going from an individual and then starting to build a team. So what are some of the things you've learned along the way, um, you know, in, in doing so? It's a good question because it's what a lot of people want to do, you know, grow a team, but it is super challenging and you see so many teams start up and fizzle out like I had a partner when I first started at Oakland you know Ian Tang brought me to Oakland and we partnered up for a year and ultimately it didn't work out and it's just it's almost like having two chefs in the kitchen Uh, and if you see the way that you want to grow your businesses a little bit differently sometimes that's enough to make it not work right so it's really tough to find a pairing like the team I have right now I'm the only realtor on it and I had some advice from some of the other agents in the office. Actually, Lee, he's like, you should be able to do sort of 40 transactions on your own with some help uh, before you need to get a partner or bring on and build a team, right? So, you know, I, everyone has these different sort of views on how you grow and, and then do you grow with yourself sort of as the primary agent and then having like a, someone who helps with listings and someone who helps with buyers, which is kind of like your model, or do you partner up with someone who's sort of at the same level of their business as you and your sort of co-partners. So I'm actually kind of exploring that area right now. The next stage of growth for me will be to have another agent come on and I'm kind of patiently, I'm not in a rush to do it. I don't want to do it and then it not work in a year. I think the next partner I have will be a partner for a long time. So I'm kind of just passively waiting for that person to come along and that decision to fall, but, uh, and, and, and thinking about, you know, looking at other teams, what the best way to go is. So I, I don't know if there's a, a clear answer because you look at all these different models, all these different groups. It's, building a team is, is very, very interesting. I'm reading a book right now by Ray Dalio. It's called Principles. So Ray Dalio is the CEO or was the CEO of Bridgewater. It was one of the uh, top financial institutions in, in the States. And it's, it's such an interesting read. It's a very interesting book. And, and he speaks about team building in a variety of different ways. So they try to make decisions based on statistics and based on facts and correlations versus based on feelings and, and, and things like that, which is something that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much a very intuitive person and so I kind of follow my gut on a lot of things, but he kind of takes a, a combination of an intuitive approach with uh, facts and, and uh, uh, correlations to kind of make good decisions. So, and I was really thinking about this when it comes to teams. So what they do, what, what this big, huge financial company does and did when they, even when they first got started was basically try to understand the components of each member of the team to make sure that they're very complementary. So if you're, and they just did a, they, they have everyone do a Myers-Briggs test in their team. Um, so before they actually even hire them on, they do a Myers-Briggs test, they get to know their background to see if it complements moving forward. And it's really interesting because what I found is that whenever I brought someone that was too similar to me, it didn't really work that well. <laughs> and so, like on my team, I'm a pretty high extrovert, but I have three introverts that I work with. I'm more judgmental, and they're more socially conscious. All three of them, 
that, that are on my team. And, and so it's almost like an, it's, these are people that I probably wouldn't, like no offense, I really love hanging out with them, but I probably wouldn't hang out with them <laughs> outside of work. But like we work so well together as, as yeah. a unit. And I think a couple things, in real estate people have this uh, tendency to um, leap before they look. And I think it's really important to do your research and to really spend some time, especially when you make a commitment to, to do something and to really look at it closely before you endeavor into it. So even the people that are thinking about getting into real estate, really look into it you know, from, a, from, from a, like a deep level. Like, is there enough out there for, for you? But it, just, it really does depend. I think if you ask 10 different real estate teams how they formulate it, you're going to get 10 different responses. So I think it's really cool to see how Jeff has gone to see a few people within the office in a collaborative environment to be able to get some knowledge, but then he applies it for his own practice. Yeah, I think that there is no recipe for a lot of the way to do things in real estate. But having said that, you can also look around. I mean, there's a hundred agents at this office and there's a dozen teams. So you can look at how people have done things and what, what works and what doesn't. And uh, I, I, I do like what you talked about there about finding complementary personalities because you know I, I have I have certain areas where I'm I know that I'm I'm very strong and that are very complementary to me in real estate but I have areas that I struggle with as well so I very specifically brought on you know Jean and Pauline with the understanding that they need to be strong in those areas to help to help plan the ship like the the, the challenge about real estate that I mean one of the things that I find challenging is that you're running your own company and a company usually you have all these people you have your you have your CFO you have your sales you have your people uh, strategic direction team leadership HR all these things that all falls under an individual now yeah. right everything right? right like so like managing the books like I don't want to be doing that like I want to be on the phone I want to be out but you've got to do you know you got to take care of your taxes and your expenses and all these things so yeah, it makes sense that you sort of build that, whether it's for work functions or just for complementary personalities, getting the right people to, to, to build your company the right way. It's challenging. Mm -hmm. So do you turn to any, when you have some of these questions and you have some of these things, do you, do you turn to research of people that have done it before on the internet or in books, or do you turn to like mentors and people in your life? Or I like to talk my situations out a fair bit with like friends. So, um, and I and at this point, because my build my business is moving at a certain pace, I don't need to make any really fast moves. Like I'm kind of looking at like a six or twelve month window of probably putting on the next person, bringing on a, a, an agent, and um, I don't feel like I need to fill this position and get someone in there right, you know, in the next three weeks or a month. So I think I'll, I'll use time, and uh, Mike's getting really comfy here in his, <laughs> uh, in, in his seat, kicking his feet up. I am. I'm uh, just so that we're we have some context. I just hurt my ankle for the upteenth time again, so I'm using a cane, and I have my leg up, and then Jeff's being so gracious. He's just <laughs> sitting so politely, but yeah, I've, uh, I'm not meant to. Uh, I was meant, if, if we were in a hunter-gatherer situation, I would be certainly a gatherer. I'm not meant to do sports. <laughs> <laughs> my body's not equipped for that, but 
Um, so yeah, thank okay, you. Okay, so I, I needed to ask though with the cane, I wasn't gonna bring it up, but it looks like there's an emergency button on your cane <laughs> yeah, in, case, so, in case you fall in the bathroom <laughs> exactly. and need help. So I bought the fanciest cane at Shoppers Drug Mart. That cane, it has a little flashlight on it and it has a little buzzer for when you need help. And purchased for me as a gift by my girlfriend, Pri. And so I haven't put a battery in there yet to buzz it around, uh, but I will shortly. I was I was going to ask if you could buzz it for the for the podcast, but I guess <laughs> I wish I could. I could. Yeah, I wish I could, but I can't because there's no battery in it. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. Um, yeah, no. So so I guess just to to bring it back to that team thing, um, it's kind of looking at your personality and and how that would work, and looking at other teams around me, and I'm just sort of watching as as to what's working around and. And I'll make a decision, and I'll, you know, I think you you live and learn, and you know, see if see if I can uh, build the team up a little bit more this year. So, what's the goal? What are the future? What's the future hold for Jeff? Good question. It's funny because sometimes I'm like, should I just work super hard and then try and not have to work as much, you know, later on after fifty? And then I think to myself, like, my dad worked until he was seventy four, like he just retired a couple years ago. Mm. And like he was biking to UBC at 74 years old from North Vancouver. He needed to be busy. And my mom's the same way. She needs to be busy. Like she's retired, but she, she golfs, she has walking clubs, she lawn bowls, like she's literally out every day. And that's totally the way my brain works. So I kind of think that um, I'll keep doing what I'm doing and building up, build up a team here in the medium, short to medium term. So let's call that like three to five and five to 10 years. I kind of see this path as my path. And then after that, I wonder if I'll pull back on the throttle a little bit, you know. But I, I could, but I could see myself doing real estate until I'm seventy. Like, I enjoy it. I enjoy working with people. I enjoy being busy. I maybe won't need to be, you know, fifty transactions a year busy. Maybe fifteen transactions a year busy, you know, when I'm in my fifties or sixties or whatever. But um, I don't think I have it mapped out as well as you do, because you have it really well mapped out. I feel like. <laughs> Well, like, it, it's really interesting. I, I may have mentioned this on a, a previous podcast, but, you know, I, I'm huge into goal setting and, and, and then reverse engineering those things and kind of what do we do today to get to wherever we're supposed to go in the future. Maybe I've been brainwashed by Tony Robbins or something like that. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that's how I, uh, you know, that's how I operate. And um, it gives me a lot of certainty to know that, you know, all the decisions we're making are kind of moving us in a direction that are that's heading toward the, you know the place that we envision long term and it actually provides a lot of like peace because i don't really do a lot of thinking do you find that people do a lot of thinking i think we are uh, <laughs> You're thinking yeah right now. I th- I'm, let me think about it um yeah i think we're we're worriers and we're thinkers overthinkers for sure i'm a bit of an overthinker i i um for me I haven't looked that far down at exactly where I need to be. I, I, I think I'm doing more of the, um, I'm trying to save money now and, and sort of move up that real estate ladder and create security, but I don't have that vision of where what exactly 55 is, but I'm doing a lot of things for the more short to medium term to, mm-hmm. um, to create security for the long term. But yeah, I think it's funny because I do think we think and worry too much and maybe work too much. And so you, like even this summer, I've tried to pull back a little bit on the weekends to try Last summer I worked, because last summer is when my business took crazy liftoff. 
and I was like, this is what I've been signed up for. This is what I've wanted for you know a couple years now. Uh, it's happening. I'm going with it. Nothing's gonna stop it. Right. I'm not. I'm not putting vacations in the way. And um, I took. A, you know, we ended up taking a vac- vacation in December, a little time off. But this summer, I'm a bit more consistent. I've got a bit more support, so I'm actually trying to enjoy some weekends. Yeah, I went up long weekend, August long, BC Day long weekend. I went up and just took it easy uh, with my sister and her family up, up the Sunshine Coast. And I uh, didn't really, no one was really looking, I didn't have any highly active clients, so it was a pretty nice, relaxing weekend. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm trying to get more of those in now, especially during the summer. Right. But it doesn't always work out that way when you get the Friday night call and you're seeing something and you're putting in an offer on a Saturday and it's back and forth until Monday morning. So how's that, because Jeff has been one of the lucky ones for us, you know, the last few years to, he has had a stable relationship the whole time. How is that like? With your with your girlfriend and, and how is that you know, handling and dealing with you know you're formerly in a corporate setting and then going through how how do you feel her um, transition has been and, and what have you what are some tips to keep that relationship good? That's a good question because a lot of, it is really tough for real estate agents and let's actually just say real estate agents partners. Yeah. But I've been extremely lucky in that Kia is like 100% supportive even when I'm like uh, I gotta I gotta take this I gotta do this and I th- I think I might even be annoyed if I was in her sh- shoes she's always like you know do what you gotta do I get it and she's supportive there was one time uh, last I think it was last fall where we were at a concert in I think the Vogue theater downtown and I basically had someone who's like we're offering tonight and you know they left it open I think till midnight and this isn't like eight o'clock and there's no in and outs and we bought tickets to this thing like three months before so I was like you know I gotta deal with this and like I actually didn't end up having to go home but I spent half the time you know in the phone and and, and, no I was in this creepy old staircase and (laughs) the Vogue is haunted by the way like trying to get as far away from the noise as possible and security kept coming and like shining the flashlight at, yeah. on me thinking it was like some guy passed out in the stairwell whereas it's like some guy on his cell, cell yeah, phone doing deals yeah exactly so uh you know and and luckily i had some great colleagues who who helped me out you know like you know helping me with sort of docusign on their laptops but um i guess it's just i'm lucky that kia has been super supportive and understands that the importance to me of like, you know, the career and, and what needs to be done to help your clients properly. And so I guess she's the reason it's been uh, <laughs> well, consistent Lucky and guy. stable, really. Yeah, you know, yeah no, she's awesome. <laughs> it's so interesting because I've been in real estate for 12 years yeah. and I've learned a lot about, you know, trying to maintain a reasonable relationship while you're, and I've, I've had a few, not to brag, <laughs> not a few. And, you know, what I've learned and a culmination of all the huge mistakes I've made and everything like that is because I think when you're an entrepreneur or when you're in business, you're naturally a salesperson. So you try to, like, sell. even to your, you, And I have that issue sometimes. I try to sell even to my people that are close to me. And what I've learned, especially with pre-now, is that to actually under-promise and, like, over-deliver. So, for example... I created an expectation with Pre that I work until 9 p.m. every night. Yeah, I just say, I work till 9 p.m. every night. Yeah. And so if I come home at 7, I look like a hero. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that, you know, just setting the expectations, that's what I found. Setting the expectations 
in the correct way because it's, nothing's more frustrating than someone says, I'll be home at 5, yep. and they're home at 7.30, and like, what the heck is, you know, you said you're going to be here at 5, and I've had this argument about a million times in my life because you get carried away with something, and you know. I have to do it a little bit the opposite because I actually aim to be home for 5, and I want to be home for 5. Right. And so if I say I'm going to be home for five, it pushes me to wrap up quick. Yeah. But it doesn't always happen. For sure. I so think, <laughs> I think yeah, I think Kia. Yeah, more discipline there than me. No, <laughs> and, and and a better example might be six or seven. But um, I think I think Kia kind of knows. She, she she probably tacks on you know half an hour, forty five minutes when I say I'm going to be home most of the time. So yeah. she, she she's become accustomed. Yeah. Again again uh, you know credit to her for uh, handling it so well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So. If you ever do some research on Jeff, you'll notice that he has a lot of videos online about uh, real estate statistics, the, um, the the kind of the trends and mathematics behind real estate. So how do you get like why are you interested in that? How do you get into that, and how do you think that helps you and your clients? I guess naturally, I am a bit inclined to try and look at answers or trends. Um, not not to the degree like I used to work with a lot of mining analysts, and these are mm-hmm. people who would build like you know. 12-page interconnected spreadsheets on company valuations and that sort of thing. But it's something that I think was really underutilized in this industry. It's a, it, like, I, I just think it was underutilized. Like, like people were um, just encouraging sales and transactions at any time, which is fine because a lot of people, you need to move when you need to move. You need a bigger house when you're having another baby and you need another room. But I kind of took the approach of um, we have external factors, macroeconomic factors that kind of drive that well that, that that essentially drive the market and you know how the economy is doing what interest rates are doing you have um, the Canadian dollar which had a big impact you had oil which had a big impact when and, you know the, the last run-up when oil prices collapsed the Canadian dollar collapsed interest rates collapsed so it was suddenly cheaper for you know people could afford more because uh, interest rates were lower and since the Canadian dollar was lower you had foreign money it was a lot more affordable like it suddenly real estate became 25 30 percent cheaper so mm-hmm. we can look at these things and help make better decisions and I think that was part of the compliment that I had coming from the mining and exploration world people were used to doing a lot of research before they bought and made investments and so suddenly I was highlighting these external factors and some of these trends and trying to make sense of it all and it got a lot of traction with a lot of my former my network yeah so like on I, I post them on LinkedIn and I'd say most of my a lot of my business comes from LinkedIn and a lot of realtors don't really have a built-up LinkedIn because I, I did I was in a different industry and right. used it a lot for eight years and and, and have a lot of um, network outside of my social direct social network on there so it was all just a compliment part of the pieces of the puzzle that came together and uh, yeah, I, I love looking at the stats and the trends now, and uh, I use them in anytime I'm meeting buyers or sellers or looking at people who, who need to do both. I look at the trends for the area that they're selling in and the area that they're buying in and try and help create a plan from that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting because there's so many different vehicles to, to deliver and, and get your business, and I think you found a really great niche in terms of offering a lot of informational value to the, the consumer. Um, and it speaks to you know a certain demographic of educated clientele. So if you were to describe your like primary clientele, like what would they be? What would they look like? What would they sound like? What, where would they be coming from? 
I would say the primary clientele of mine is probably friends and referrals. So right. like within the network. So just a lot of people I've known socially or become friends with even through work. People I'm, I know from a first degree that I've worked with in the past that know me, trust me. And, and then a lot of referrals to friends. And then in the last maybe six months, as I've been a lot more consistent with publishing data, I'm getting, I'm getting more people who are like, th- I'm using LinkedIn talk, like third, second or third degree connection. So like right. people who are seeing me on LinkedIn that know I'm, we have several mutual friends are kind of reaching out and saying, hey, uh, we're thinking of making a move. We want to time it right. Uh, wondering what you think. So yeah, it is moving a bit beyond just my sort of internet work, I guess. But no, I mean, my, my standard client is someone um, looking to buy or sell in Vancouver, North Shore, uh, or Squamish, typically. And you know, I have maybe 10% are investors. Mm-hmm. Most of my clients are just buying their own property and moving up and creating their, their sort of home equity that way and, and, and buying and selling smart. A lot of people are finding value in Squamish right now. Just this huge proportion of sales that we're doing in our office out there. Like, tell us about Squamish. Like, what do you like about it? What's the, like, I like saying Squamish. I think it sounds cool. <laughs> like, I don't know why. There's some words I like saying, like Squamish. Um, do you have a word you just like saying? Just sounds like good, or just feels good in the mouth. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but I can't say it on this right now. Uh, let me let me let me mold that one over for a second. Let's talk about Squamish. I like Squampton. I like Squampton. Is that what they call it, Squampton? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that goes that I remember that from a long time ago. I mean, I, I don't know how. I presume it goes back to the mid or late '90s, Squampton, because I, I remember hearing that term back then. Is that a reference to Compton in, yeah. the, in California? Yeah. Okay. And, and, and also tying into the fact There's that no like black people. <laughs> uh, no, not not in Squamish. No, but but I think it was pretty easy to find a fight on a Friday night. Oh, in, is that right? Okay. Oh yeah, Squam- Squamish was like um, kind of a mill town. It was kind yeah. of a blue collar, rough around the edges. It just had that kind of. You know, and, and I think a lot of people who lived in Vancouver because Vancouver was this sort of quaint, small city without a lot of traffic and like right. North Shore Mountains, you go to the Grouse Grind or, or, or whatever, hiking on the North Shore. And that, well, well, so, you know, it was pre-Lululemon. It was like 15, 20 years ago, Vancouver was a much different city. And now, now you can't get parking at the beach. You know, it's kind of gotten crazy. So I think... People crave smaller, bit of a smaller community, and if you look at what Squamish has, I mean, it's like, I mean, they they, they rebranded themselves pre-Olympics as the outdoor adventure capital of the world. We have amazing climbing and bouldering and mountain biking and hiking, and we're right on the ocean, and there's incredible kite surfing, and like, it's all here. Like, yeah. there's that checks a lot of boxes for a lot of people. And it kind of has that sort of West Coast feel. And tons of young families are moving up to Squamish. How are the schools there? There's a handful of good schools. There's obviously up in the up in the Highlands is kind of to be one of the more desirable catchments. And then there's um, and there's a couple down on the um, on the lower lower areas of Squamish, which are good. So schools are great. You've got now Quest University, which is growing, which is like an outdoor university. The rental uh, vacancies are like next to zero. I think more than anything, it's a lifestyle. Like if people are moving out of Vancouver because prices have gone up so much, and it's it's you know a little bit more difficult to afford a big patch of grass and a big yard in Vancouver. They're seeing Squamish versus like up the valley, 
and they're different and people they're sort of different lifestyles and different cultures and people gravitate to one or the other and the thing about squamish that is especially unique i think from a supply and demand perspective is that the valley spreads out pretty wide and you've got tri-cities and surrey which is huge and then you can go uh, further south over like to uh, white rock and tawasin ladner but squamish if you want to be north of the city in the mountains a lot of people from the North Shore, from Vancouver West Side, or you know, they don't necessarily want to go south or into the valley. They want to go to Squamish. Squamish is a micro area; like it is not very big, and there's not seven Squamishes. You know, there's not all these other suburbs that you can choose. It's like North Shore, Squamish, Whistler. It's a very small corridor. So, so yeah, definitely uh, seen huge price increases there and uh, huge uh, demand, and it's changed a lot. But you know, they're, they're they're trying to keep up with the change, and you know, it's it's the same as where every, everywhere is experiencing that change. Yeah. As my favorite pub in the world, it's uh, How Sound Brewery. Yeah. It's yeah. so, oh, yeah, the best. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. They've got really good beer there. They yeah. um, they own R and B, which is uh, a really good microbrew on in Mount Pleasant. And there's a couple new breweries that have popped up there too, which are really good. And there's a place called the Watershed, which is like two by four, oh, kind of yeah, like rough. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like a rustic pub, and it's yeah. right on Dyke over the river, just. A little bit north of downtown on uh, Government Road, and it's I think it's my favorite pub in BC. Like, oh, really? It's, it's called Watershed. The Watershed, yeah. Ooh, uh, st- stop in for a beer because they got a, they got a patio, and the thing is like you're overlooking these beautiful mountain ranges, and you're right on top of the river. And uh, I remember a couple years ago we brought a friend in there from he was from the states, he's from out of town. And he just landed in Vancouver. We went right, right up to Squamish for the uh, Squamish Music Fest. And uh, I think we landed on Friday night, you know, did some drinks or whatever. Friday night, he didn't see much. It was kind of, you know, we just got there in the evening. Yeah. Saturday morning, we go for brunch and we go to the watershed. And um, something happened. I think like an eagle swooped down and got a salmon out of the river or something yeah. <laughs> almost cliche like right. that. And he was like, where the hell are we? Like, Did he have a man tear rolling down? Yeah, <laughs> he was blown away. Yeah. He's like I, I, like, I feel like I'm in like Anchorage, Alaska. I'm in a movie about Alaska right now. It's so rustic and beautiful. Mm-hmm. He's like, I thought I was going to a music festival and here we are, like yeah. the beautiful Pacific Northwest mountain ranges, like raging like glacial rivers and bears and eagles. It's, right. it's wild. It's super cool out there. It's beautiful. Cool. So what are some of the things that we don't know about Jeff? What are some of the things that you have going on in your life or, or some hobbies or something that like is, is outside, is a little extra? Okay. Mike, Mike did not prep me with any questions. Yesterday, <laughs> yesterday I was like, what can I prepare for this tomorrow? Like, any, like there's no, uh, no heads up on questions I could think about. Maybe deep down inside, I'm a little bit of a barefoot hippie. I like camping and going up to friends' cottages and just not wearing shoes and swimming in the ocean and uh, snorkeling and trying to just trying to just trying to get off of the grid. Sometimes I really like that. I really do want a cabin or a cottage, and I feel I feel like clean and good when I'm in the ocean. A lot of people are like the ocean's gross. I'm like no, the ocean is beautiful. I love it. Right. I don't mind the salt in my hair. Like it's great. Yeah, That's you know what grounding of, is. Not exactly. Uh, so, like, it sounds really hippie. My girlfriend is, who was on the last podcast, was is like an extreme hippie. She believes in like Ayurvedic, <laughs> which is this type of eating and like food as medicine type of yep. thing. She's going to the garden, and she really believes in this thing called grounding. So, what grounding is is essentially your we're we're on rubber soled shoes all the time. You know, we're kind of. The, the world isn't like you know built with 
it has a lot of electricity and yep. static and stuff like that that continues to flow through the air. There's a million microwaves that are flowing through. As we're talking in this podcast with these giant headphones on, there's like waves being emitted everywhere yeah. you know, from electronic signals and everything like that. So if you kind of touch the ground, you know, the, with your bare feet or with your bare skin, it kind of returns a lot of that kind of it returns a lot of that electricity or those things back into the earth so that you can be more grounded. And a podcast that I love that a lot of people, I, it might be the top podcast in the world now, uh, Joe Rogan yep. podcast, the Joe Rogan Experience. Basically, he talks about it. He has a grounding mat and that he stands on while he does his podcast. I'm sitting here with Jeff with my, my shoes off. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so, I dig it, yeah. yeah <laughs> with the mustache <clears throat> socks. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. And, you know, it's a little bit of a return to nature. This is yep. a book by, especially with what's kind of the, the evolution and what's kind of happening with the combination of man and technology and how that oh, relationship yeah. is working. Yeah, in a lot of ways it's working, in a lot of ways it's working against us. And I, I know what you're talking about with that grounding, and I think it's a big thing that we need to get our heads around a little bit better. You know, for instance, I was reading yesterday that Google's new phone, I think called Pi, they, they, okay. name, they name their phones after desserts, um, or, their, or their software systems anyway. It has uh, software systems built into it to help you use your phone less. Really? Yeah, because these aren't good for us. Like being addicted to our phones and walking through crosswalks with our head down on our yeah. phones is not good for us. And it is a full-on addiction, and I feel like I like I didn't have a cell phone. I kind of pushed off the cell phone thing. Like in university, I was like, nah. We I, I like we went to I went to university in a small town in Quebec, and we'd kind of make fun of people with cell phones. We'd be like, if you live in Lennoxville, there's 4,500 people here. You can basically like shout out the window. Hey, yeah, Jeff. exactly. I was like, why do you why are you so self-important yeah. that you need a cell phone? So I, I pushed it off. I didn't have. Um, I didn't have a cell phone probably till I was 25. I moved. I live in Seoul, Korea. I got a little cell phone, so I got into it later. I can't imagine what your brain is like when you get a cell phone when you're 12 years old and you you, you have all those formative years where you're sort of addicted to a cell phone and communicating. I don't really envy it for kids. And my sister is a primary school teacher, and she did her master's. Her thesis was I, I might be quoting it wrong, but something along the lines of the effect that the outdoors have on developing brains. So basically, there's a lot of research and studying, you know, studies that, that basically talk about all these, you know, kids with ADD and anxiety and depression and all these things. It's like, really? They just need to be outside. They need to be playing in a park, on the grass, playing soccer, in the forest, building forts, whatever, doing what kids used to do, not on their phones, yeah, you know, phone, playing video playing games, video right? Games and, and, and it's a cliche, but like, no, there's science. I don't think that's there's science behind at all. it. That's like that's human nature. You know, we we have humanness. You know, and yeah. uh, which requires exploration, which requires activity, and I think when we're all up in our minds too much, you know, it does have impacts on our mental yep. health and stability. This is a book by um, Ray Kurzlin that was introduced by one of uh, the agents here, who will be on the podcast. Very interesting gentleman named Dave Seton, um, and essentially it's by Ray Kurzlin. It's called "The Singularity Is Near." As, as mankind evolves, we're evolving to kind of a mixture of like man-machine type of creature almost, you know, where we're dependent on the machine to exist. So we're almost in a space right now where we're coexisting. And at what point does the machine take consciousness, you know, because all this information is being fed into it. And so it's a real interesting read. It gets a little bit wacky, but I think especially how these technology companies are, this is a conspiracy theory podcast, <laughs> how these technology companies are using conventional items such as glasses, watches, 
to, to start combining man and machine as one. So there'll probably be a necklace that'll come out. There's probably going to be a nose ring that'll come out or an earring that'll come out eventually. And it's really interesting. Or a shoe, like something with a shoe. Like So how humans have conventionally, what they have conventionally accepted being a part of technology and then eventually it's just going to be an implant that will come in, um, you know, in a molar or whatever it is. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, um, there's a lot happening in AI and like all the artificial intelligence that's coming on and automation and, you know, uh, um, complete industries being disrupted. And we're definitely up for a lot of change and connected devices, like you're talking about, like these smartwatches and stuff. It's like, I guess there is a need to have the text message come in on your watch because the phone is too far away. And, you know, it's yeah, kind of crazy. Really, it, it's, we're, we're losing a lot of the humanities is I studied uh, political science in, in university even though I never I, I never went to many classes but I, I love the, all the reading of philosophy and and the humanities and how and, and basically what are some of the roots of uh, core values and philosophical like kind of standards for how we got here today I think we're living in like a pioneering time because Jeff and I were around the same age we grew up in a time where there were just cell phones are just getting started technology was kind of just getting off the ground and we grew up in an environment where it wasn't really a big part of our lives for the most part and we kind of halfway through got introduced to some of the first great technologies and you know it's different from like the 70s where they're introducing home computers and stuff like that because it's accelerating so quickly and it's just it, it's going to be fascinating over the next 40 years or plus or maybe Jeff is going to live a long long time <laughs> but like it, what's going to happen? I think we're in like an amazing time, and you know you can project and see what's going to come down the pipeline, which is really cool to yeah. me at least. I'm a little bit of a sci-fi weirdo. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's going to be a lot of ways where it benefits us. There's going to be a lot of ways where, like you know, I, I think where there's challenges that need to be overcome with it as well. And I think about the automation of everything and, and what disruption that's going to cost to employment and that sort of thing. And there's there's almost too much to keep on top of, and it is moving so quickly now that uh, it is hard to it is hard to predict where it's going to be in five years. Like, are all, you know, is banking going to completely change to the point where there's no advisors anymore? It's just all automatically done, uh, you know, machine learning, investing in algorithms that monitor your money for you, right? Like, it, you know, that's going to change. It's going to change a whole industry, and it's and I think a lot of you know we've seen we've seen it with taxis, we've seen it with a lot of industries where automation has changed it. So. Yeah, you gotta keep aware of what's going on and work around it the best you can and use it to your advantage when possible. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in embracing change and things that, like that. We don't wanna have our heads stuck in the mud. So it's, it's really interesting. So you know, I've had Jeff on here for an hour, probably burning his whole life. So basically, uh, before we sign off, is there anything you wanna add or, or anything that you wanna? Uh, no, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to bring me on and to chat. It was it was fun. It was a good little break from the day for sure. And uh, thanks, Mike, for all the support that uh, you know. A lot of the team at Oakland here and yourself especially has helped me sort of, uh, especially in the early days, getting up and running. So appreciate you having me on and appreciate the support over the years. And if you need me on for a second episode because. All of your viewers and listeners just need <laughs> yeah, need more. Them, like, <laughs> if, yeah. if there's it's such like, demand, the downloads just blow if up. Get, if I get one email, Jeff goes on <laughs> yeah. a second time. If you I get one email, then then it's, <laughs> then it's validated. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for being on, on the podcast. And uh, thank you, all the listeners out there today. And, uh, yeah, have a great rest of the week.